Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cassell, and with me today, both Dan Lyons and special guest Kevin Brown. Kevin, how's it going? I have been clamoring to get on this stupid podcast for years. <laughs> Syracuse Tulane, we've been waiting for it. Um, but now, finally, John, it is an honor to be here as the unofficial voice of the American Conference. This is my time to shine. Yeah, Ke- Kevin kind of gave the light intro there. Um, I, I'll, I'll let him give myself into- <laughs> a light intro only. <laughs> let him get into a longer one in a second. Uh, but first, obviously, happy Sweet 16 week. Dan, I, I took your thunder here telling us what the theme of the week was. Really? I mean, I think people know. It's it's a nice, another dual uh, NCAA tournament week. We have uh, obviously our big upset uh, of UConn tonight, uh, for those listening on Tuesday morning. Um, will definitely happen <laughs> on the women's side. And then uh, on Saturday late night. <laughs> and then Saturday, uh, Dan gets to fight his dad for, for, for his family supremacy. <laughs> 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 yes, if, if if the Syracuse women beat the UConn women tomorrow, I am officially the patriarch of the Lions family. Those are the rules. I don't make them up. And then, yes, so a nice 9.55, which will actually probably be like a 10-10 tip-off for the Syracuse men on uh, Saturday night. So, you know, live from, uh, live from Indianapolis. Great for me on the West Coast. <laughs> but, Kevin, why don't we, uh, why don't we get into... Uh, you know how and why you're here, uh, and, and and what your credentials are in, in terms of this uh, this Syracuse versus Houston conversation we're going to have in the first half of this podcast today. I thought I was on here for the Syracuse UConn women podcast. I thought it was just going to be a, a two man pod with me and Lions debating Gino Ariema's favorite stores Italian joints. Was I mistaken? Was I misled here? I don't think there are any Italian joints in stores, but he has his own restaurant <laughs> it's, up there. It's it's Buca di Beppo only. <laughs> yeah no let's let's get into it um so i am like every other person in media and sports media i'm a syracuse alum class of 11 uh one year ahead of the valiant co-host here dan lines you were 12 right we were one year uh separated uh we're going down the line here because john was 2010 so oh very he's good got, he's got a sequence here very good yeah um i've been working for espn for six or seven years now covering college basketball the last four years on the american conference the geographical mishmash that is the league with wichita state and temple and cincinnati and smu and south florida and ucf and formerly connecticut and uh the university of houston i've called eight houston games this year and probably about 20 over the last four years and have gotten to know that program and Kelvin Sampson very well. So when the bracket came out, I said to Dan, yeah, I have Q's Houston in my Sweet 16. If this happens, I'm I'm coming on the podcast. And here we are. I feel like I've seen more Houston basketball than any other Syracuse fan or alum this year. So I'm happy to share my expertise. I I think we actually said it before that. I think we were like, well, Syracuse, if they're getting, it's probably an 11. Houston's probably a two or a three. So there's like a, a definite some kind of chance that we could match up. And uh, yeah, here we are. That's true. There was also a chance, I think, that Syracuse and Wichita State played in a first four game. But uh, Syracuse deemed to be uh, well above the first four. So we didn't get that. But we did get this, which is even better, I think. Yeah, I was I was very happy to see it. I mean, we talked about this last week. I was very happy to see us avoid the playing game. Um, Kevin, since you're more of an expert than us on some things, um, were, were, were you as shocked as we were uh, that, that, that that SU avoided the uh, the playing game here? Um, I was surprised they were as high in the field as they were. Were they the top eleven seed per the bracket math? I possibly. I know they were ahead of Utah State. Yeah. I think they're the second I, 11 I, seed. I could be wrong. When when Wichita State Drake, you might be right. I, th- I think they might have been a second. Um, when Wichita State Drake dropped in the first four game, I thought, all right, the next first four game is going to be uh, Syracuse or Louisville against Utah State. And then Utah State comes in in the second bracket, and I'm thinking, all right, I, I guess either Syracuse or Louisville is out and the others in the first four game. Um, UCLA and Michigan State fell a little farther than I thought, so I was surprised. Maybe we shouldn't have been surprised um, 
knowing that uh, maybe the committee was just early on. The Big Ten is actually trash bandwagon by putting Michigan State in the first four, but they were late on the Pac-12 is actually the Conference of Champions bandwagon by putting UCLA there. But yeah, I thought it was going to be uh, a first four look for Syracuse. So I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, hindsight's kind of twenty twenty. If 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 we use the the tournament results to to see whether the seeding was right, uh, doesn't always work. But yeah, it's uh, it was once again an advantageous uh, setup for SU. I honestly thought, even compared to like the other two uh, random runs, this seemed like the I guess least uh, advantageous of the three in terms of who we were facing. Because I did feel like. Both SDSU and Houston—sorry, not Houston—but SDSU and West Virginia both seemed like uniquely set up to beat us potentially. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I was—I mean, I said it last week. I was worried about SDSU because they were a good shooting team, and uh, that didn't quite play out until the last four minutes. <laughs> um, and uh, West Virginia, because of the press, and honestly, I thought they should have pressed more. Not to like harp on that game too much yet, while we have Kevin here, but. Um, I kind of think Houston kind of presents some of the same physical defense, uh, aggressive board crashing, uh, some of the other aspects that made West Virginia pretty scary for Syracuse. Uh, but we overcame them the last game. So um, there's nothing to say that we can't do it here again. But it's it's going to be another tough matchup, I think. Great segue there. Kevin, What? Uh, I guess tell us a little bit about what happened uh, between Houston and, and, and Rutgers uh, for what you did get to catch and then um, I guess what what are the main things that we need to know about the Houston Cougars right now? Sure. I'm not really sure how Houston won the game, um, but this is what they do. They, they win in a very, very ugly fashion. And I think reasonably speaking, part of that result yesterday as we're recording this, part of that Houston Rutgers result has to go to the, the grittiness of Houston. Part of it has to go to Rutgers falling apart. Uh, Rutgers had this game won. I mean, it was done and dusted. It was 10 points with about eight, eight and a half to go. And I think eight or nine points with only a couple of minutes to go. Um, Rutgers has to take some of the blame here for just blowing the game. But Houston did what they will do every game. And if folks here watch the Syracuse or the Houston Rutgers game, you saw it. Houston attacks the glass harder than literally any team I've seen in the country country this year, with the possible exception of North Carolina. And the numbers back it up. They're second in the country in offensive rebound rate. They rebound 40% of their misses, Houston, which is a little bit under UNC. And obviously Syracuse did beat UNC a couple of weeks ago. Um, but Houston plays like a football team. I, I've talked to other coaches in the league about them. And every coach in the American is both frustrated and in awe of how Houston is officiated because it's a little bit like, remember those Seahawks great secondaries, the Legion of Boom secondaries about seven, eight years ago, you know, the, the saying was, well, they held on every play, right? So holding wasn't going to get called every time when you hold on literally every play. Houston might foul on literally every rebound. They are as physical as any team I've seen in a long time. Okay. And they will rack up a lot of fouls, but they won't get called for every single foul because they just push so much. So I, I would expect I would set the over under at like 15 and a half offensive rebounds Houston will get on Thursday night. Um, they are not a great shooting team. They're seventh in the country in offensive efficiency, and they're not a great shooting team. They got a lot better as the season went on. They were terrible against Rutgers from three for most of the game yesterday. If Houston is hitting threes, I have a couple players we can get into, but if they're hitting threes consistently, I, I, I genuinely think they could beat anybody in the country besides Gonzaga and Baylor. I really believe that because their defense is so good. If they're not hitting threes, they can lose. I mean, they lost a game at East Carolina this year, right? They lost a game at Tulsa. Um, Syracuse can absolutely beat Houston if Houston is not hitting shots consistently. And they did not hit shots consistently, and they were lucky to beat Rutgers yesterday. So that's the quick offensive profile. Defensively, they're great. Uh, top two field goal percentage defense in the country. I think Loyola's first in scoring defense still, and Houston is second, one-two. Both are in the same region um, as Syracuse. Again, physicality, they are super active. Kelvin Sampson's teams are crazy. I mean, they just play like a bunch of rabid hyenas. Um, they will not let Syracuse get nearly the same kind of three-point looks 
that West Virginia and San Diego State did, I would expect. I think this will be the toughest three-point defense that Syracuse faces uh, in the tournament, as long as they go on into the tournament. And Syracuse will have to create more opportunities, I would think, that aren't necessarily catch-and-shoot, buddy, pull-up Joe Girard threes in this game. Um, Houston is not a great defensive rebounding team. They're about an average defensive rebounding team. So Syracuse can crash the glass a little more. They're an elite, elite offensive rebounding team, but there will be opportunities on the glass. And the last thing I'll say about their defense, they do foul a lot still. Again, they could get a call for a foul on every play. They're not. And it will probably drive Syracuse fans crazy that there's not a foul called in every play. But Syracuse will get chances. They will get free throws. And obviously, we've seen it in the tournament. You have to hit those free throws. They will get those opportunities in this game. I would think they'll get to the line a pretty good amount if they're not just settling for threes. Yeah, I think you brought up a great point there. Like uh, when, when things kind of started to go off the rails briefly for Syracuse over the weekend, it was when they, they started settling a bit too much for threes and stopped driving it inside. The second they um, kind of got back on track, you saw them penetrate in the lane. Like really, Buddy Beheim's game and his evolution has been so much, I think, predicated on uh, the threat of him driving the lane. You know, I mean, he might have a handful of layups, you know, in, in a month. But realistically, the threat that he can pull up from inside the arc, the, the fact that he can, you know, drive and, and, and kick it out to somebody who's waiting on the three-point line. Like, he's he's found ways to evolve his game, and I think that's that's helped a lot, again, even if he's not shooting twos. Um, I, I do hope that SU actively avoids, you know, that that kind of thing you see from this team for a, couple, for a stretch in every game where – they're definitely just going to jack threes and it's sometimes it's because of foul trouble. Sometimes it's because of a lack of ability to penetrate. But um, I, I think that this is a team largely of shooters um, and, and, and that's their kind of tendency. Um, but I, I think we have learned a lot, at least in the last two games that maybe it's better to move away from And Really the last month, I think SU's at least started to progress more towards that usually. And we wrote an article about this a while ago, um, like when they get to the line and they shoot like fewer than 20 uh, threes. They're in a, I think they won something like 65, 70% of the games at least um, versus like when they were doing the opposite of that uh, very, very low chance of uh, success. So I'm, I'm again, hoping that we've learned a lot from the last month and that we kind of stick to the game plan. I also kind of wonder if having West Virginia right ahead of Houston um ends up being to our benefit kind of like when when teams we always talk about teams who have seen our zone before obviously have way more success if we happen to face them in march last two teams to knock us out um as a double digit seed were duke and uh, unc um who obviously didn't have the same like they weren't the same blindsided uh factor there in its own but we just had a game where west virginia um maybe not to the extent that houston does but is is well known for that kind of clutch and grab style of defense um they're a good offensive rebound team they had 19 against us uh the other night we only had four we were at rebounded total 41 to 29 um so i do think there are some aspects and i wonder if the team will be more well prepared and better positioned to deal with that kind of pressure especially if the game is called pretty loose um both teams in the west virginia game were uh, went to the free throw line and shot 11 times so um it wasn't a huge factor uh there obviously our team has been very good at the line all year um so, yeah, I, I, I think it's, a, it's an interesting factor having these two kind of teams because uh, it isn't the kind of variation that you often see in the NCAA tournament where you get opposite styles. Even San Diego State was like more of a physical, um, you know, one-on-one defense team, not to the same extent as the other two, but we, we, we haven't gotten that like, you know, we have the one team that spreads the floor and the one team that's just uh, kind of bulldogs on the offensive glass. It's just been kind of a, a line of, of physical, uh, you know, defense-oriented teams here in a row. Yeah, and honestly, like I, I think that, you know, you're right, Dan. That there, there is this little bit of prep time where I feel like, in previous years, we've seen things kind of ebb and flow between styles, and and obviously, you know, the, the zone keeps teams off balance. Um, but Kevin, do you think that that like the free throw shooting is potentially like what could help put Syracuse over the top in a matchup like this? Do you think there's something else that's a little bit of a weakness for the Cougars um, that that SU can potentially exploit? I think it's a definite possibility. Um, weaknesses for Houston, again, I look at the North Carolina game, and I think that could be pretty instructive, the game back on March 1st. Right, because North Carolina got 26 offensive rebounds and out-rebounded Syracuse by 20 total. 
A couple of things they did not do well. One is they turned it over 20 times. Syracuse was plus eight in turnovers. Houston is not a team that's likely to turn it over 20 times. Their guards are the strength of their team. Now, the big wild card there is Dejan Giroux. He is the Houston point guard. I don't know that he's their best player. Quentin Grimes is probably their best player. He's a former top 10 recruit who went to Kansas for a year. Come to Houston, made himself into an All-American type player this year. Giroux is their point guard. He is the one who facilitates, who controls everything. He is their best on-ball defender. But he does have a pretty nasty hip pointer that he played through last night. I don't know how he played through it. He looked to be in severe, severe pain. Um, But if he is limited in this game, then Houston does not have their primary ball handler. Makes them a little bit more susceptible to turnovers and also to worse shots. Uh, Again, streaky three-point team. Syracuse can take advantage of that. Marcus Sasser is a tremendous shooter. He was one for eight uh, yesterday, and that's in part because Giroux wasn't giving him the same kind of looks. Uh, the other thing that is interesting to me in the North Carolina game is, is that. North Carolina shot four for 20, right? Syracuse gets out-rebounded by 20, but they win the tournament battle by eight, and UNC shoots four of 20 from three. I could see the three-pointers, again, going either way with, with Houston. I, I've talked to Kelvin Sampson a bunch this year, and he said over and over, we are not a first-shot team. And basically by that, he means we're not a team that's going to beat you right away. We're going to beat you because we're going to miss two shots in a possession, but we're going to get two rebounds. And the third shot is just going to be a two-foot stick back. Um, Syracuse is going to get out-rebounded in this game, but if Houston is not a first-shot team all game, Syracuse can work with that. Again, three-point defense was, as you said, Dan, up until the last maybe four minutes against San Diego State, was pretty darn good. Um, There are a couple of players on this Houston team that are shot makers. There's a kid I just want to point out whose name is Cameron Tyson. Um, He doesn't play much. He didn't play at all last game. He shot 43% from three at Idaho last year. He had nine threes in a game against Tulane this year and 10 in a game against an NAIA school. Now that is obviously very limited competition. Look, Tulane... Tulane was coming off a COVID pause. They're basically an NAIA school at that point anyway. Um, But Cameron Tyson is the exact kind of dude who is on Houston only to shoot threes against zones. It's like when he checks in with six minutes to go in the first half and hits two threes right away, you know, be upset if you want, but but I'm telling you now that this is going to happen. He's going to have 23 points. I have no doubt. He, like... How many times has Syracuse faced a team whose fourth or fifth guard hits five threes out of nowhere? So right? I mean, right. I've already dubbed him as that guy. He he he, yeah. he is he is the honorary um, he is the guy. Jack he's the honorary Jack Ferguson of of this team. He's the honorary Ferguson. But I think I, I like that. I think the Giro thing is so key. I think if Giro is healthy, he creates better three point opportunities for Houston players. He's six five and really long. I mean, he's their point guard, but I could obviously see him defending. Buddy Beheim and limiting him with his length. But it's hard for me to imagine after yesterday that Giroux is going to be anywhere close to 100% because he was playing with a nasty hip pointer and he got it out, I think, 32 minutes in the Rutgers game. So I don't think he'll be as effective. I don't think Houston will be as quick. They can get out off turnovers with Giroux. But if he's limited, I think this is going to be a slog. I think this is going to be a game in the 60s. Um, low possession low tempo and a game that Syracuse could outshoot Houston in and and take advantage of that I, I the Giroux thing is just such a big deal to me if he's 100% I would take Houston seven eight times out of ten but he's not and so that makes this game a lot more of a coin flip because he does so much to set up others and to defend I mean I never I've never root for an injury but but, but this does have me at least trending in the in the way I thought I was going, which is that I do think, and Dan and I were talking about this before you got on, Kevin, was that maybe it's just how the region's shaking out, maybe it's just how the year is going in this tournament, which is pretty wild. But it does feel like Syracuse at least has something repeatable and, and you know, knock on wood, as long as injuries don't become a factor for them, um, it does seem like they have something, they do have a rhythm going. I know you talked about the North Carolina game. I think you can go back to the Clemson game. Um, really everything since that, uh, probably since the Duke blowout has been at least serviceable, 
like even the Georgia Tech game, you know, w- w- was kind of, you know, just got given away in the last like seven minutes or so. Yeah. But other than that, like this has been a, t- a Syracuse team that's ha- that's figured something out um, since like the very end of February. Lions, they figured out told- to use the bench. Have you, <laughs> Lions, have you referred to the uh, the group thread we're on on the uh, on the podcast here previously? Probably at some point. I mean, we've been doing this for like seven years, so it's probably inevitable. Well, <laughs> I probably stole I, ideas I, from it more than anything else. Specifically, I mean, our friend John, not to be confused, uh, John with you, but um, our, our friend John, who did not go to Syracuse, will chime into the group thread here and there during Syracuse games, and he'll come in and be like, I don't understand. Like, are you guys five and 20? Are you winless? Has Joe Girard never made a shot? <laughs> And um, the last three weeks, that I mean, that feels like that's, if not stopped, it's it's ceased pretty dramatically. Um, there's just there's you know, even just watching the first two games of the tournament, like there's such a crispness and efficiency to the way this team operates. They have not looked scared, and and I, you know, the the West Virginia thing, the last minute of the game when West Virginia pressed felt like the only moment in the last really two weeks where Syracuse looked a little bit rattled. Houston is not that kind of team, I would say. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but having seen Houston, again, eight different times this year, called their games, watched a bunch more, probably seen at least half of their games, they are a tenacious, tough-as-hell, half-court defensive team. They don't really full-court press a lot, and I don't think they would go to it until it's a last resort. They like to just beat the heck out of you in a half-court, but... I don't think Kelvin Sampson is going to see the last minute and go, let's do that. Cause that's not who Houston is. So it's a tough half court team, but I don't think Syracuse is going to have to contend with, you know, the hell that was the final 45, 60 seconds of the West Virginia game, which should give Syracuse fans a little bit more confidence. I would think. Yeah. It makes me feel better, especially (laughs) with Tenary being shaky. Like he's, he's looked good and he's been effective, but it's not, and I, I know, Kevin, you've been impressed with him the last couple games, but um, as someone who probably didn't catch as much Syracuse like mid-year, um, yeah. he isn't the same explosive player because of the knee tendonitis that he's been dealing with. He's still very cool, and like he slows things down, and he changes the tempo. Um, and he might be very important in this game because even if it's not full-court pressure, it's just like that physical nature uh, that we saw him really kind of fix when he came back into the game um, after – uh, Gerard and Marek and everyone else kind of struggled with it. But I do think he, on the other side of like the kind of half injured uh, guard category here, will also be key. If he can give like his normal good 20 minutes and look like something close to the healthy player that we had in, in January, February, when everyone was clamoring for him to play 35 minutes a game, uh, probably myself included, um, I think uh, that will do a long way in terms of uh, helping alleviate some of the pressure because he is so hard. He's a little bit turnover prone. Like he makes his turnover proneness is more taking chances, but he's very unflappable with the ball, which uh, I think will be very important in this team. I think that's a reasonable uh, Gerard take. If if I if I ever heard one, I know that they're uh, few and far between of late, but but we can find them, and I'm I'm, I'm glad you found them, Dan. I was I was talking about Kadari. Oh. Well, in that case, <laughs> not, to, not to totally. <laughs> this was not a bit. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was defending Gerard earlier today in the noon slack because I know we can be hard on him. I do think he's played probably, I'd say honestly, probably played his best basketball of the year. And like, obviously, it's not perfect, and it's kind of come and gone by the half. Um, but I do think he's also kind of slowed things down, and also I think he's been good on, better on defense. Not maybe as a, as a defender of like you know charging guards but he's found a way to uh kind of alleviate some of the of the issues in the glass by being really good at hunting down those loose balls and those crazy ricochets that teams have gotten so many of against us in the zone um so i do appreciate some of the things that gerard's brought um but i also hope that canary is close to 100 percent. so you know. i agree <laughs> your your points from earlier still stand um thank you so Kevin, don't want to, you know, uh, burn too much more of your time, but I, I guess, how do you see this one playing out? If, if you'd like to add, uh, you know, caveats about Giro, uh, do feel free, but like, how do you see this one playing out? If you want to avoid a final score, fine, but just more like, how do you see this one shaking out, given what we know right now? I, I think Giro's going to go and give Houston something, 
you know, from from my very limited medical knowledge, it seems like a hip pointer is just a thing that's going to bruise for a while, and the, the the best way to work on it is to rest it. They'll have five days of rest between Sunday and Saturday, so I think Jarrell plays some. He played 32 minutes last night. I don't know if he will again. Quentin Grimes played the whole 40. I think Houston's guards are elite. Uh, I barely even mentioned Marcus Sasser, who's a second-team all-conference player. Again, he did not shoot it well from three yesterday, but when he gets going, he – I mean, he hit eight threes in a game earlier this year, too. He's that kind of potential shooter, and you'll know early. Uh, I think those three guards are elite. The bigs are not huge, but, again, they're tenacious. They're as tough as anybody Syracuse will play. Houston has won a lot of games this year where it hasn't shot well. When they do shoot well, they kill teams. I mean, they just rush teams. Look, the America's not great this year, but they beat Cincinnati by 38, and then three weeks later beat a better Cincinnati team at the time by 37 in the conference title game when they hit shots. They beat a pretty good Western Kentucky team by 24. They scored 81. They scored 98 against South Florida. These are not great teams. These are not the level of Syracuse. And I don't think Houston has played a team that shoots it as well as Syracuse in a really long time. In fact, as I look up, up and down the Houston schedule, guys, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, the way Syracuse is shooting now, I'm not sure that Houston's played a team that's shooting as well as Syracuse all season. So I do think that'll stretch the Houston defense. I think this is a really close game. I, the spread is something like five and a half last I checked. Do you have an updated number on that? It was between five and a half and six and a half, depending yeah, on where. I, I, I definitely take the points. Um, I, I think it's a, a one possession game one way or another. And I, I do think Houston's guards, its experience, its rebounding tenacity, its lack of turning the ball over, put them slightly over the top for me. We know Houston's going to crush Syracuse on the board. Syracuse is going to need to outshoot them and win the turnover battle. And I think Houston will try to slow the game down a little bit, play more in the half court, not risk live ball turnovers. So I'll take Houston 65-62, but I, I, I won't be surprised whichever team wins. I, I think five and a half is an understandable number based on the metrics. I mean, Houston, for God's sake, is fourth in Ken Palm. It's Gonzaga, <laughs> Baylor, Michigan, Houston, and Houston might surpass Michigan by the, by the time the night's over. But um, I take the points. I think it's going to be a, a close game one way or another. All right. I think that's reasonable. Uh, Dan and I will definitely give our uh, picks later. Uh, Kevin, if you want to stick around for, for our traditional halftime beer talk, you can. Otherwise, uh, you know, feel free to go about the rest of your, uh, your evening. Waiting for me downstairs. So I will bid you find gentlemen to do. But thank you for having me on the show. Of course, Kevin. We'll do it, it again at some it. point. We'll find reasons to do it again at some point that uh, don't have to do with the American Conference, unless it's about Tulane. We do have we we the, that was originally the plan like three years ago was was uh, if we were playing Tulane in football, I think, but didn't work out. But uh, now it'll have to happen at some point. Yes, we will. Thank you, guys. Yep, thanks, Kevin. See you, Devin. Now, thanks again to Kevin for coming on. Uh, really great to get kind of an expert opinion on on Houston. Uh, a great eye for basketball there from him. Uh, Dan, I wanted to give a little shout-out to our sponsor, uh, Homefield Apparel. Uh, however, before we get to halftime, everybody knows Homefield's comfortable, uh, licensed gear. I think it's pretty affordable. Uh, it's all vintage. Obviously, all of you have T-shirts. I know Dan and I have some shirts uh, from Homefield. And you can get some, too, for the, uh, the stretch run here with uh, our coupon Noons10 um, over on Homefield. And uh, I know Homefield Magic's been working its wonders for Syracuse and so many other schools around the country. Um, not Georgetown or UConn, though. Weird. Nope, not not them. Uh, that's more because you know Homefield Magic isn't evil. It's just except when it works for Indiana. But other than that, um, <laughs> wait, it it does. <laughs> not basketball. <laughs> it works not, for football. Not, late, not lately. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it it decided that 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 the evil had had to go on UConn and Georgetown and and some other schools and and just axed them right out of the field. But anyway, it's, uh, they're good shirts. I mean, that's just what it comes Great down shirts. to. I've been wearing, I've been wearing. I for so on such and Sunday, I was like in my my drawer full of home field shirts, and I was like, I'm gonna wear Vita the Dote. I don't know. I've worn Vita the Dote, Vita the Dote in a while. Uh, that's what I'm gonna choose. And then we made the field, which was. Uh, 
you know, we felt good about it going in, but not great. So it felt like a win. Uh, and I tend to try to, to keep the, the, the karma going. So then I wore it for the first few games. Uh, so it's going to be Vita the Dope all the way out. Like, that's just what we're doing here. So uh, get, get yourself a Vita or one of the other my, fine, soft, comfortable products at Homefield. I actually wore my uh, my Script Mellow uh, for jersey for each of the first two games. So we're, we're going to be riding with that once again. Yes, these are all very important. If you've already worn the same shirt for both games, you, you dare, dare not uh, wear something else. Don't tell you can still here, order. People. You can still order new shirts, though, because they probably won't get there for Saturday anyway. I know the game's late, but it's probably not late enough for the shirts to get there unless you order maybe the minute you listen to this, which we, we also support. Yeah, go do that. Um, so, Dan, obviously a, uh, a a weekend of merriment in the uh, rear view. <laughs> what have you been drinking? Oh, yes. <laughs> it was a weekend what, of merriment. What haven't you? Uh, what haven't I drank? Um, so, well, it, this, it, it starts on Wednesday where it was St. Patrick's Day, so I had to do the, you know, kind of – uh overdone but traditional i went out to or went and got takeout from a local irish pub that opened up here recently got a couple of guinnesses uh for to go uh honestly i feel like i have guinness like on saint pat's and then maybe like once or twice else during the year guinness is just like rock solid like if there's a bar that doesn't have a great beer selection they're probably gonna have it and you're probably gonna be fine with it so shout out to guinness uh not that they need our help but <laughs> just a, a rock solid like you can probably find it at every single bar you go to and you're not going to be super disappointed. It does what it wants to do well. Um, outside of that, I was a little more adventurous. Uh, I went out to the local uh, craft shop this weekend. Um, I picked up a bunch of different stuff. Tried some uh, Blood of the Unicorn from Pipeworts out in Chicago. Shout out to Loyola, uh, our beloved uh, Loyola team. This this also has a kind of maroon and yellow can, so it almost feels a little uh, Loyola-themed, except that instead of Sister Jean on it, it's a... Uh, like very aggressive unicorn uh it's a red ale uh another kind of focus on the irish theme here but uh just really solid straightforward red ale um not straightforward at all uh from sloop um in new york uh or up i think it's upstate um their uh sloop jam series uh their boom shakalaka which i uh 100 bought because of this the uh nba jam reference and because it was saturday before our game uh, this thing was delicious. Uh, it really, on the can, it says it tastes like a slice of blueberry, blueberry pie. That's very accurate. Uh, it does have, like, even a little bit of, like, a pastry beer uh, quality, but also just a really drinkable sour, really delicious blueberry flavor. Uh, so highly recommend that. Um, I had some audiovisual lager from Collective Arts up in Canada. Just really solid, straightforward lager. Uh, got some growlers uh, of uh, breathing conversations from Industrial Arts, which is a, a line that a bunch of different local breweries are making. Um, but this is a really, really good IPA, uh, really citrusy, really delicious. And also some memory palace stout from Grimm, um, really unique, has a lot, a lot of coconuts and like chocolatey flavors, but also like a little bit of, uh, then they use a little bit of a chili pepper in here. So there's a little bit of a kick. It's not overpowering, but it's there. Uh, and I think some chai as well. So really interesting beer. And then right now, probably drinking the most interesting beer of the whole thing from fifth hammer which is a really cool brewery in long island city that i haven't been to since before the pandemic um i got a can of their smoke and comb which is a uh honey lager with uh kind of like a smoky i don't know what exactly they they did to, to make it as smoky as it is it's really um pretty out there and bold um and it really has like a a really distinct honey flavor but also like almost like even a tobacco-y flavor um definitely not a subtle blend of those two but it, it works pretty well um not like my favorite thing i've ever had but i i'd have it again and it, it's almost really refreshing given the smokiness of it so yeah pretty pretty big beer weekend very nice yeah i have a bunch of beers though unfortunately uh i mentioned this before since i've still been ordering uh just getting stuff delivered uh, I don't have like a ton of like variety in the breweries, but still a ton of variety in the beers. I had uh, for modern times, I had Dream Pop, a uh, milkshake IPA with uh, orange, pineapple, and vanilla that very much tasted like a creamsicle. Uh, that was pretty good. I had Highland Park uh, Timbo Pills. I know I mentioned Star Metal Ultra last week from modern times. Uh, it's a fruit Berliner Weiss. I had a uh, Maschingona from uh, Highland Park was a hazy west coast ipa which is a weird concept but it did work um had a okio malocchio uh from modern times another uh, italian pilsner from them uh actually for the first time in a year i went to a brewery um and had, had a beer outside um the catalina ipa was a west coast ipa from king harbor 
Uh, and then on Saturday night, I enjoyed uh, News from Nowhere. was a uh, Flanders Red Ale uh, aged in uh, sherry barrels. So very, very good beer. Um, not that it's like easy to find, but uh, recommended if you haven't upon it um, at all. It's a, it's a really good one, again, from modern times. Very nice. And yeah, it's obviously if you're uh, ordering, you kind of have to, you know, get four packs and get whatever else. But I think we're we're inching towards the times where we can all venture out and get a little more adventurous with our beer consumption and buying. We Safely. are. I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Though This damn beer membership has me spending <laughs> so much money on beer <laughs> that I, I, I feel bad leaving the house. That's fair, too. Like, if you're not like I, I try not to. Go buy too much more stuff if I still have a full fridge, even though it's tempting. But uh, but we're we put a good dent in it after our game on Saturday, so I can't really. <laughs> uh, or what was our game? Was that last night? No, it was two nights ago. Um, yeah, it's uh, it 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 has it's not a huge issue. I think I'm gonna need beer again at some point. Um, so Dan, talking about the next game, I know we got into a bunch with Kevin. Uh, you picking up what he's putting down on this Houston team? Do you feel like this is gonna be uh, a, a bit of a slugfest? Honestly, even before we talked to him, I've kind of been leaning that direction because they're not a super dynamic offensive team. And because of how they are so focused on attacking the glass and getting offensive rebounds, it's it it's going to lead to, I think, fewer possessions than we're accustomed to. Um, and also, like, their defense could diminish our own offensive explosiveness. Uh, I hope not. But I do expect to see some of the same things in the half court that we saw um, especially in the first half against Buddy. Um, I assume they're going to try to take him out of the game, which West Virginia did pretty effectively early on. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a rough and tumble one. Um, but like you said, I think it's it can go either way, especially if they're not at full full capacity um, with Giroux. It's it's going to be a really interesting one. I, I, I see it being a pretty close. Yeah, I mean, I think Giroux is really the key here. And, you know, obviously, like, this is an efficient offense, but th- th- this should remind people of Virginia – um, not necessarily like, you know, a, a team that that is firing on all cylinders and, and really just kind of running up and down the floor. Because that's the sort of group, you know, especially with a shorter rotation uh, for Syracuse, even the, the recent iteration still a pr- uh, pretty short rotation. Um, you know, you could get gas pretty quickly. And I think that it's not that Buddy's on his last legs by any means, but you definitely, I think you definitely see some of the guys who've been playing 38 to 40 minutes a game. Uh, at this point in the season, you're, 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 on, you're on adrenaline. Um, in large part and everything that, you know, these players have had to deal with as well, you know, just keeping the season afloat. But, um, you know, Kevin got into some of the Ken Palm ratings, uh, seventh on offense from an efficiency standpoint, uh, 12th on defense. Uh, That's kind of right around where SDSU was, um, I believe, when we were facing them. Houston's a much different type of defense, though, obviously. Uh, 323rd in tempo. And that's really going to be the difference. I think um, SC's been efficient, but if you're – reducing the number of um, possessions that's definitely going to, you know, cut into how many points you're scoring. I think realistically, um, and this is the thing that hasn't necessarily been talked about as much um, versus, you know, hot shooting and some better defenses that the hot starts, um, you know, SU's really started pretty well. And by start, we mean like probably like the first, you know, seven to 10 minutes um, yesterday was, a, you know, its own animal because SU really jumped out to a, to a lead immediately. And then West Virginia kind of had to spend the rest of the game, um, you know, clawing back. But in the case of like some of these other games where it's taken us, you know, seven to 10 minutes to, you know, start building up a lead um, and then kind of holding it from there. I, I think these hot starts that we've had of late against Virginia, against NC State, um, again, the SDSU game, like, the, the, these have all been trends and it's allowed SU to dictate tempo and it's allowed us to take teams out of their, um, you know, typical way they play. I mean, we took Virginia once again out of the way that they usually play basketball. Um, NC State couldn't really do what they wanted to do. SDSU, um, I mean, it was in part like a game plan, very reliant on threes, probably too much so. But also like once once that boulder's rolling downhill, there's only so much you can do um, but shoot threes. And when it's predictable – um, and they're still not falling, like, you're going to lose. It's just you're buried. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a team has played that far into the hands of the zone since Michigan State in 2018. Like, oh, that was wild. it was jarring to watch, especially because we said before the team, like, they're a 37% three-point shooting team. That was not some team that that just is hopeless out there, and they could not figure it out. They couldn't – They A, they weren't running a good zone offense one bit. Like, it was bad. That's the difference between the first two games – Obviously, they both worked out. But San Diego State, honestly, like this, the final score doesn't 
as anyone who listens to this knows, like the final score does not indicate what a blowout that was. <laughs> that, that was a 25 point game. <laughs> it, yeah, we we put we took our foot so far off the gas in the last four minutes, and they they their numbers just all caught up at the at the end. But it was never uh, a game. West Virginia, on the other hand, was interesting because they ran like and and not to be unexpected, Huggins has so much experience in its Bayheim, not not wins, but <laughs> experience. Um, <laughs> like they were doing, I, I was actually impressed with like the dedication they had on offense to working the ball to the free throw line and trying to, to go from there. It's just Culver, who was one of their best players, if not the best player was just completely uh, not equipped to, to do that. We've seen teams with uh, have that issue before. Like even when they know what to do against the zone, they don't have the personnel. They don't have like the Dred Monroe type who is a, a forward who can pass from there. Um, they don't have a guy with a floater. Cause like if Culver had a, a good eight to 10 foot floater, he would have had 25 points. Like oh, we were completely giving that to him. Um, so they figured it out more in the second half uh, and, and got it closer and could have won the game. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to like, it's, it's both a, an attractive thing to like understate as a Syracuse fan, what the zone means, because it almost feels like a trick. And a lot of teams kind of treat it that way. or A lot of fan bases treat it that way. Um, and we've seen in years past, like we've just been really talented in one games, but this year, especially it's it's just been really hard to to downplay it. It's it's clearly giving teams giant issues. Um, Houston obviously will have more time to prepare for it, but with an injured point guard, uh, with a coach who doesn't have a you know much experience or success against it. Uh, the last Telvin Sampson game in Syracuse was the 0-3, uh, I want to say what Elite Eight game when he was at Oklahoma or Sweet Sixteen game when they scored like forty seven points and it was uh, like one of the more uh, glaring defensive shutout performances that Bayheim's had uh in the tournament so um yeah I, I feel I feel pretty good like I feel a lot better about this game than I think I would have a couple weeks ago um because Houston's very very good but I don't know that they're offensively super well designed to, to face us defensively I think they are um which makes it very interesting and why I think like it's it's kind of a coin flip as Kevin said so what's your uh, what's your final score I'm going to stay optimistic. I'm going to be optimistic now. I actually picked San Diego State for those going back to last week. Um, But a lot has changed. Uh, We just feel like we have something here. And I know that's stupid and like (laughs) non-scientific, but it's hard to to deny it. We just, it feels a little team of destiny like it did in 2016. Um, And I could be totally wrong. Houston could beat us by 15 points by bludgeoning us to death. Uh, I'm taking Syracuse 61-58. All right. Yeah, I... uh... I feel like this SU defense is better than it has been. Obviously I feel it, like it's the best it's been all year. I think yeah. you, like we've gotten lucky with some of the shooting, but it's pretty clearly the best it's been all year. Yeah. Like it, it's been suffocating. It's been creating opportunities. I mean, some of what we were doing against West Virginia was just wild to, to see um, that there's, we just took away everything. I mean, the, the way we were closing on shooters, it was nuts. Um, I, I don't think we get necessarily that because I think if we're playing if we're playing like that, we could end up like our our forwards just aren't great at avoiding fouls, even if they're not playing overly physical. <laughs> and, and I could see that presenting a problem here. That's really my biggest concern. Um, I think if 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 Houston's going to send us to the line, I think I think we're going to win the game. Like because realistically, this is a very good free throw shooting team, um, and that's really the difference between like some of the you know vintage Bayheim teams and some of the more recent ones is that when you have a team full of shooters. Um, it ends up that they're a much better free throw team. Uh, also means that they're poor, you know, post defenders, but that's a whole different conversation. Uh, I, I think that ultimately free throw shooting um, and just some, you know, savvy gameplay and, and, and a savvy plan from, from Bayheim ends up gutting this one out. I'm going to go 65 to 61. I think this is another tight squeeze, but, but one that, that SU ends up, uh, being able to, you know, kind of lock up at the line uh, late. We want to be so bold as to predict uh, what will happen from there. Is that is that bad? Is that bad karma? I don't know. <laughs> it's. I'll, I'll 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 hedge and say that I think we can beat. I think we can beat Oregon State uh, pretty pretty well. I think we could pretty easily lose to Loyola because of uh, Crutwig. Yeah, Crutwig is the opposite of Culver in that <laughs> the way they run their offense, he's kind of like a really poor man's college Nikola Jokic. Like they run it through him at the at the high post. And it's horrifying. 
they won't really have to change anything in terms of like that aspect of it. Obviously there's a difference between facing a zone and man, and I doubt they face very much zone. So it could still be a major curveball, especially on one day's uh, notice for them. Crucial um, for us as, as, as no escalators helpfully pointed out. Uh, yes. It, do- it doesn't count. It doesn't count. The NCAA tournament doesn't count. If you run a zone um, on the normal uh, calendar of the NCAA tournament, um, as we all know, he was even uh, on that one. He was even being nice, though. He even said, like, like, <laughs> well, like from a from from the standpoint of like, it gets results because if you look at his Jim Beheim's record in the second round, like it's pretty good, and and, and the only times really gotten derailed are against like familiar opponents, and it's yeah. because you have a day to figure that out, like it doesn't work. His his record in the first rounds did too, and like so a lot of it is. I know the he, higher was, he was seeds like, as well. It's the higher seeds. Like you're playing better teams as this tournament goes on generally. But he also, I think until recently, like was very good in the elite eight. So that kind of lends to it. And then not as good in the, in the, uh, or no, it was the other way around. We like didn't lose semifinals until the UNC game, which would then go the other way. So it's, it's sort of an exact science, especially because they're different teams and they're different. Uh, you know, the zone has also changed over the years. Like the 96 zone doesn't look like the 2012 zone. Um, but it, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a big factor. Like, we're not going to deny that, but also it's like, that's why we run it. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like if uh, if if Oklahoma was, like, lighting teams up every year in the college football playoff, people wouldn't just be like, well, it's unfair they run the, the spread. <laughs> okay, I guess we're just going to run a power eye now. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's, it's baffling to me that more teams don't do it, honestly. I know you have to recruit to it specifically and whatnot, and, like, it's and, – and more teams do run some zone than did before like it's been proliferating especially the duke ran it like well, since, all, we, not since we moved to acc it's been i i think grown a lot because it's proliferating a lot yeah because unlike a lot of big east teams i think they actually said oh we should probably know this well we yeah like duke ran out. it almost exclusively for a year that they don't quite anymore but there was that one year where they just could not defend in man so okay it's like well i guess this is what we're doing um, well, Kay also had the extended experience too of, of working with jim uh with team usa and, yes. and that, that exposed him to it in a way that few other like opposing coaches have been. Yeah. And Hopkins runs, I think a lot of it, obviously at Washington, not exclusively um, Rob Murphy ran a lot of it at Eastern Michigan. He's now moved on to the G league. Um, so it's, and, and then other schools are starting to run like some of it, but I am a little surprised that no one's just tried to uh, go full bore with it. But I guess it's tough if you're not coming from, if you're not coming from like Syracuse, it's tough to like really replicate it. Well, it's um, that plus like you need like real realistically like I think you need to be a power five program or be able to bring in power five talent in order to make it work well. Like you might be able to dominate it. Like you still need like like where where SU has the advantages. If you don't have the perfect pieces, it still works. And like 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 look at this year for instance. Like you, if you don't have the perfect pieces, it still works. But that's only because of the 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 legacy of of it and the coaching within it versus like you're really forced, I think, right away to go get, you know, two to three, like six, 10 guys. If you want to make it work, even at like the mid-major, like, you know, P5 level elsewhere, like it doesn't, those guys don't grow on trees. Like they're not, they're not just sitting out there for you to grab for your, for your zone experiment. And that's not what Baylor's done. Like they've run, they've probably been the second most notable zone team in the power five for a while now. I don't think they run quite as much of it as they did a couple of years ago, but Baylor's whole team forever now under Drew, has been just long guys <laughs> and at, like at every position, like they've basically come as close to modeling after what Bayheim's recruiting looks like as anyone without even like really coming from that system, which is interesting. Uh, but even they don't run it full bore. So, um, and a lot of their zones have been really iffy. So, um, which I think a lot of this is coaching, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's definitely a factor. I think uh, any team coming off short notice uh, will struggle now. Loyola could, I mean, Porter Moser is awesome. That that team, what impressed me so much about them and impressed me in 2018. Um, so many mid-majors that have these big upsets rely on like one big player having just a crazy game or or just having like a hot shooting night or having the other team go cold. Loyola just runs their stuff and yeah. their stuff is good enough and they execute at such a high level that they win so many games and it's any opponent. Um, so they scare me a lot, but... You know, we'll still have a pretty big size advantage. Um, we, you know, the zone isn't man, which they run their stuff against most of the time. Um, Oregon State, uh, like, it's it's baffling what they've been doing. They're the hottest shooting team in the country. They look like an absolute offensive dynamo right now. Um, but 
if that goes cold, like it was, I mean, I don't think they were cold all year, but like, you know, they were what the eight or nine seed in the Pac-12. They were not a very good team all year. So yeah. if they, if they revert back to that, like it wouldn't be surprised to blow them out. They could also hit 25 threes against us and it would get ugly, but that's like any team. So um, yeah, I'm not super worried. I mean, I, I, I feel pretty good about either matchup, honestly, uh, more so Oregon state, but you, you take what you get at the elite eight level. Reasonable. Um, Dan, thanks as always. Uh, I know we got to wrap up here. Um, did want to shout out the, uh, you know, Syracuse women's team. Uh, really nice, you know, second half win. Um, kind of started in the first half, but second Dominant half. fourth quarter. Yeah, great, great fourth quarter from them against South Dakota State. Uh, they move on to face UConn on Tuesday night. Not ideal opponent, as we, as we discussed last week. Um, I think it's a loss, but I, uh, I, 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 I'd love to entertain the idea of a win. <laughs> I want to take over my family, so please <laughs> give Dan the honor. I've never been able to call my dad and gloat about the the Syracuse women beating the UConn women, and we've had our chances. So um, yeah, let's let's do it. I mean, it's going to be hard to be disappointed. I just hope they play well. Um, just have a good showing. The things are overall, I think, still trending upwards, uh, and this team has fought through a lot. So uh, I'll be proud of them as long as they they go out there and like have a nice outing. But a win. A win would be like probably one of the best wins in like Syracuse athletics history. Uh, no reservations on that. So uh, I'm going to be rooting hard for it. Yeah. I mean, it'd probably be one of the biggest wins for any SU team since SU last beat the UConn women a couple decades ago. Yeah. It's, uh, it'll be a big one. So, you know, fingers crossed. It's at 9 p.m. Uh, on, I believe, ESPN. So everyone tune in and support them. Uh, and then us on Saturday night. Yeah, Saturday night. Everybody, uh, hope you drink some coffee before the beer, <laughs> or both. Like, just get them both going. Yeah, I mean, I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be wrapping up uh, bath time and then jumping in. So I'll, I'll be tired for different reasons. <laughs> anyway. Thanks to uh, my good friend Kevin, the uh, one of the many celebrity celebrity broadcasters for, out of Syracuse for uh, showing up here. <laughs> Shout out to Frank Isola. <laughs> For just just asking asking for so much violence the other day, <laughs> you goddamn scrub. <laughs> also, anyway. just just real disrespect to the University of Ohio by his tweet. Like that's probably a better journalism school than Maryland. But anyway, we're we're, we're wrapping up. <laughs> we are. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Trendings and Absolute Podcast. You rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Orange. <laughs>